and welcome to the Pole Performance Podcast, where we bridge the gap between pole dancing, exercise and sports science, with a little bit of injury rehab thrown in as well. My name is Dr. Emily Rausch. I'm a certified chiropractic sports physician who specializes in helping pole dancers learn how to not fuck up their bodies pole dancing and unfuck them when they do. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Pole Performance Podcast. It is Wednesday, May 17th when I am recording this. I will be in sunny Southern California when you are listening to this on Friday when it is posted or whenever after Friday that you are listening to this. Um, Maybe I won't be at the beach by the time you actually listen to it, but this weekend I will be, yeah, in California. I'm super excited for it. Super excited because it is both a business and a little bit of a personal trip, and then I will be home for a few days and then I'm going to Canada to see my friends from chiropractic school that I haven't seen since graduation. So many, many, many moons. So I, yeah, got a lot of like really exciting, um, fun stuff coming up that I am like literally giddy about. I'm trying to keep my voice from being super loud, but I'm trying, I'm literally bouncing up and down inside. Woohoo! Fun times. One of the things I've been doing a um, for like a, a regular basis, on a regular basis for a while, is every Monday I put up a question box and then a link for people to ask me um, questions anonymously. And just want to go through some of them that I'm like, this is going, this could be a post, but I'll just save it for the, for the podcast. Um, some questions that I'm like, there's a lot of nuance. I have a lot of thoughts on how to answer this and let's not have eight talking head videos on Instagram that everyone's just going to skip through because does anyone listen to all the talking head videos? Maybe it's just me. I'm impatient. It's fine. Um, so going to go through some of the the ones that I did not answer. Um, and then the app sends me questions too. So you might get some like random personal information about me intermixed. So let's go. Um, how to know if you are on the road to injuring yourself in a twisted grip handspring? First, I want to say... Part of me wants to be like, if you're questioning it, you're probably on that road, but maybe they're just trying to like preemptively be prepared because they have heard that twisted grip could be, um, like could hurt your shoulder because a lot of people do not have the capacity to handle twisted grip. There's nothing wrong with it, but it just is a little bit more challenging to stabilize, um, efficiently in that position. A lot of people don't use their muscles. They just hang out on their ligaments and joints. So how to know if you're on the road. If you're already training and you're starting to feel any sort of unproductive or new sensations in your shoulder when you are training twisted grip handspring, to me, that is a flag saying, hey, this is not feeling good. If you are wanting to know if you're ready to do it before you actually start trying, I do have a post that has a checklist um, of requirements that are needed for you to safely be able to do twisted grip um, that I will pull up right now and then I will read from it. One second. Okay, twisted grip checklist. Mobility, you need 180 degrees of overhead flexion in neutral and then roughly 90 degrees of internal rotation overhead, roughly 80 degrees of internal rotation with your arm abducted, which is away from your side. So you need to have access to shoulder internal rotation and flexion because that is what twisted grip is. And then you need to have shoulder stability in internally in an internally rotated position um, while moving through the 
range of motion that your shoulder will will need to be able to do a twisted grip handspring. So the difference between a handspring and an Aisha, Aisha, you're dropping down into it. Handspring, you are like cartwheeling up into it. If you do not have the stability in your shoulder to take your torso from being however, whatever your starting position is to your ass is over your head, that is where a lot of times people end up hurting themselves, myself included. Um, having a little PTSD flashback with this is there's a, a range that your shoulder has to be stable through. And if you don't have that stability, things are not going to feel well. Um, how you can test that is going through um, like banded internal and external or probably more internal, but I probably would do external as well because you're going to need your external ro- rotators to be strong to stabilize the internally rotated position of the joint um, with bands. And so externally rotating in um, different positions of your shoulder, like mimic the range of motion that you would need for getting into twisted grip. And then strength requirements, being able to generate force and stabilize in an overhead position, once again, with rotation and in neutral with the, the bottom arm. So that's another thing that another way that people can hurt themselves doing twisted grip um, things, especially handspring and Aisha's, is both arms are engaged, right? One is pushing, one is pulling. If your pushing arm is not stable in that position, the like overhead position that it is on the pole, push, push, pushing away, if that is wobbly, your um, like rib cage area, your core part of your body is going to be wobbly and then your other shoulders at end range internal rotation and it's going to try to absorb that force to keep you from landing on your head but it's already in a pretty compromised position so making sure you have both both arms doing their job and then also your core doing its job so that you're not wobbling everywhere and your shoulders are what is going to absorb that force so like everything that I say all the time You can assess things off the pole to see if your body is ready for them on the pole. Like do it off the pole first. Use bands, use your body weight, use like dynamic um, movements to help just see, do you have the ability to do it off the floor? If yes, cool. Then we can build into on the pole progressions to make sure that your brain understands the different positions that you need to be able to get into, to get into it on the pole. Um, but if you can't do it on the floor, more likely than not, you're not going to be able to to stabilize it on the pole because you're upside down, spinning, doing all sorts of crazy things. So don't guess, assess. Next question was one, I was actually going to make a whole um, podcast episode about it, but then it, it started to get a little ranty. So we deleted it and we'll just have it be um, part of it. So the question is how to know if your teacher is holding you back from progressing with a sad face. I... This is one that like more information would be needed because I feel like, actually I don't even feel like I know, a lot of people really struggle to be truly objective about their current abilities to do things, myself included. I go and look at my recordings and I'm like, okay, that is not what I thought I was doing with my own body while I was trying to do that combo. Like what is going on? Um, We got some work to do. So what we think we are able to do and what we are actually able to do don't always align. That being said, if you are really thinking that your instructor is not allowing you to progress 
that is an issue and how to know would be I don't know maybe other instructors are saying that you are ready to move on to doing other things but for one for some reason one instructor is not allowing you I really part of me really wants to say I want you to trust that your instructor is looking out for you and not intentionally keeping you from doing things that you're ready for but I know there's a lot of egos that exist in the pole world um, and a lot of people get butthurt. I was going to try to come up with a nicer way to say that, but a lot of people get butthurt when their students start to do better than them. So if that is something that you're even wondering, then I would recommend that you work with someone else. And that may mean that you work at or you train at another studio or you train with another instructor. Um, talk to the owner. Like if you're really truly feeling like there's an ego thing, not a safety thing, um, not a skill level thing coming in, then that's a conversation that needs to be had. Next question is from the app. So we're going to get a little, a little personal information in, intermixed on in this. Um, are you close with your parents? Kind kind of. Like I, I try to talk to them on a re- regular basis, like once a month, um, but not not super close. We used to be closer when we lived in the same town, but now we live um, like pretty far away from each other. So it's just a more, hey, I'm alive, <laughs> what's going on in your life kind of check-in. So yes and no. Next question. I can do leg waves on the floor, rings, and in a handspring position, but my middle split slash pancake split is bad. What could be tight? Without watching you move, I don't know. Um, there are a lot of moving pieces in every sort of movement, every type of movement. When we are looking at a middle or pancake split, do your hips rotate? Do they um, flex? Do they, they not, wouldn't really need to extend in a middle or a pancake split. Um, do you have pelvic control? Do you have rib cage control? Do your muscles have the ability to lengthen? Are they strong enough to lengthen in those positions? Do you have nerve tension? Um, which nerve is having some tension in it? How long have you been trying? What does your training look like? Um, leg waves and a middle split, pancake split to me are not on the same level. They are very different things. One, you are like wiggling your legs and the other one you're in like a static hold. So maybe don't think that they're going to translate and start working on them. Like meaning your splits would be where I would start. Um, next question, have hip tendonitis and have been working with a physio. Good for you. Weekly with stretch and strengthen exercises. Okay. Beginning to work on upper body corgan, scared to back step, um, and advice. First thing, I feel like you're doing everything that you can, right? If you acknowledge that you have an injury and you're working with a physio to address it, that's, um, all you really can do you're working on your upper body so that you're not losing like strength in your your upper body um whatever exercises that you can do with like your physio's clearance um do them maybe there are movements that don't hurt that will be productive for you to do right now um maybe chat with your person that you're working with to see if there's anything else that they recommend or that you can do next one favorite movie um, Moana. Moana has been my like comfort movie lately, mostly because I love the ocean. 
Okay, next one is a little bit of a doozy. So it says, after a handspring class on Saturday, my wrist started hurting only when it's flexed. Yesterday, I put some pressure on it with my other hand and it cracked and felt like it went back into place. Today, it hurts less, about 80% less. Should I go to a doctor or can I wait and see? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know you. I don't know your... Um, I, like I would need a lot more information to be able to give you any sort of advice. Um, and that would not be like through this style of questioning. Um, you would, you would need to pay me for that advice. Um, if you are questioning whether you should go to a doctor or not, I'm going to default to yes, go and see someone because to me, it's even though depending upon where you live, it may be a monetary cost for you to find out that everything is okay. I would rather know what is going on now as opposed to hoping that everything is okay and then prolonging my recovery process because I waited to see how my body was going to respond to things. Um, that being said, you live in your body, you're in charge of your own body. And so if you want to wait and see, then that is up to you. Okay, next question. I've only ever danced in eight inch heels, but I'm thinking about moving up to nine inches soon. Thoughts, comments about adjusting to the new height? How long does it normally take to get used to an increased height? My first question when I read, or my first thought when I read this one was why? Um, I don't know why you would want to go up past an eight inch heel for anything, to be honest. Um, that's been something that I've been pondering a lot with, um, I've been getting into a lot more like low flow and edge work stuff that my, from my understanding, all of the classes that I have interacted with both in person and online, that eight inches is the like standard, um, for that style of heel work. Maybe there's another style that you need nine inches to be able to do that. I'm just not aware of my, current understanding of it is that it's more an aesthetic thing than like a functional thing and if that's what you want then obviously like hooray for you um but my thoughts are like why um and then adjusting to the new height I'm not sure obviously there's an inch difference but usually with pole and like stripper heels as the heel height increases the platform height increases as well so it's not that much of a like difference between the ball of your foot and the heel of your foot as you would think of like with like a street style heel with eight inches right the platform on street style heels are usually a lot smaller so your foot's at a more extreme angle um so adjusting to it I would slowly integrate it into your training meaning I actually thought about this the other day so I used to run a lot I don't run um very much anymore actually I should, should start running again because it's not shitty out anymore but if you want to switch the style of running shoe that you're in you like intermix the your old style running shoe and your new style running shoe um so you would go for like let's say you need to run um three miles let's just use that as an example so you would run like one mile in your old shoes come back to your starting point switch to being in your new shoes run how like you know maybe a mile at the most even and depending upon what style of shoe that might even be um a little bit much and then you would go back to your old style shoe so you would like only have a chunk 
of your typical training be in your new shoe and it would be it would start like super low percentage and then it would you would like gradually increase to the point where you're in your new style of running shoe only and with runners where they tend what they tend to do and they end up hurting themselves is they'll decide usually it's like a a drop difference so the difference between the um front part of the shoe and the back part of the shoe like the millimeter difference in running shoes zero drop shoes are really really popular in um running or they were when I was more in tune to the running world meaning that there's no difference between the ball of the foot and the heel and so people would you know kind of get excited about oh there's this new thing that is better for your body and so they would just go buy zero drop shoes but really they've been training in you know 8, 10, 12 drop shoes for years and their calf muscles and their feet are not prepared to run in a zero drop shoe and so they would end up being hurt. Um, and so the common conventional um, advice is to like very, very slowly allow your body to adapt to being in a less of a drop. Think of the exact opposite when it comes to pole heels that we would very, very slowly want to allow our body to adapt to being in a higher heel and then the length of time with running shoes it was like months they're like sometimes years depending upon how long you've been running and how much you run um, to have this like process go so slowly but surely get literally think like in terms of like months to be able to allow your body to adapt to it if your goal is to decrease your risk of injury as much as possible this, this app has like, it's fucking bold as shit, the questions that it will ask people. Next um, random personal question that I threw out there. Are you religious? No, I'm not. I was raised Catholic. I do not attend any sort of um, religious anything anymore. Church trauma is real, friends. <laughs> okay, next one. And probably last one because I need to go make sure I have all of my overpacking done for my trip. So a super short episode today and then I will do my best to have yeah, a longer one for next week. Um, this one is a super interesting one too. Do you have any tips for sitting on your feet or having the back of your feet on the ground in general? I, can, I can't sit on them and I can't wear sandals for floor work because my feet and toes hurt so much. Feels like I'm pushing my foot bone into the ground. Um, okay, so sitting on not the back of your feet because the back of your feet is the sole of your foot. Anatomically speaking, you're talking about the tops of your feet or the front of your feet, um, which that is like is equivocal. But when I first read it, I was like, what do you mean? How are you sitting? Like, what is happening? Um, can't sit on them. Can't wear sandals for floor work because my feet and toes hurt so much. Um, a lot of people struggle to have that range of motion, which is like a plantar flexed position in their ankles especially if they have not worked on having one that ankle mobility happen and then especially putting your body weight into it it's new um, you are literally pushing the tops of bony parts of your feet into the ground it does not feel good if your body is not used to it it's not desensitized to it so would want you to assess your plantar flexion range of motion and the I don't actually know what the degree that you would want probably want it to be flat so like pretty close to 180 degrees if you take a pen and you place it on the top part of your 
ankle where it bends, it should be relatively flat. Um, and if there's a big gap there, if you're like not able to point your plant or flex your ankle, point your foot to get it to be relatively flat on the top part of it, then yeah, you sitting on that's not going to, to feel good. And so you would need to work on point exercises to make that be less painful for you. Um, and then your sandals and toes hurting um, for for floor work. Um, immediate thought is to just not wear sandals for right now while you're working on improving your plantar flexion range of motion. Um, and then toes, I would want to make sure that your shoes fit your toes, whether it's your boots or your sandals. Um, this is just like a funny, a funny antidote for my lovely body, my lovely feet is that um, I have really long toes and my second toe is longer than my first one. And so I, with my sandals, if I want them to fit the majority of my toes, I wear one size, but if I want them to fit my second toe, I need to, to size up and then it's like a little bit too big. And so I am just forever beating the fuck out of my toes when it comes to, to floor work stuff because my second toe is so long. Um, which actually reminds me that I like need to paint my toes for this weekend. I'm I'm doing a photo shoot in LA too. And I was like, oh, you got to make sure that you like look cute and just really remembered that my <laughs> toenails are um, all scuffed up. Um, let me see if there's one. A lot of them are just like personal ones that I don't really want to answer. Um, okay, one final one. How to prevent nausea and dizziness when first starting out apparatus training exists and so if you're not used to spinning if you don't have the tolerance of your vestibular system and your visual system to handle um, spinning you can work on it just like everything else spin training exists Um, my first immediate tip is to make sure that you're looking at something while you're that is spinning while you're spinning so look at the pole look at your arms Um, don't be a ballerina and try to spot to something that's not moving you want to like yeah literally look at stuff while that is spinning while you're spinning make sure you're training both directions and then build it up just like you would anything else so start with um spinning for 10 seconds wait um until get down wait until you're not dizzy anymore get up spin for another 10 seconds get down wait until you're not dizzy anymore do that a few times and then slowly increase the amount of time that you're spent spinning ideally the amount of time that you are dizzy decreases as well i would recommend timing and tracking what you're doing so that you can see if you're making progress if you're not making progress that could be a sign that you have something going on with your inner ear or your um, eyes ability to track doing things and those can be evaluated by um, like a sports eye doctor or a vestibular physical therapist and I have worked with both because I've had multiple concussions. And so I don't like spinning um, either. And for a while, I just thought there was something wrong with me. Um, and then it turns out there is. There's something wrong with my brain um, from the concussion. So that is also an option as well. Anyways, you can hear Samson growling in the background. And he's saying, let's get out of here, mom. So have a happy whatever day it is you're listening to this. And I will catch you next week. Okay, bye.